Welcome to Short Course, episode 106, for August 4th, 2023. I'm your host, Ben Barry. It's been a couple weeks, uh, and good news is uh, the latest member of the Barry family is home. He's healthy. Uh, there was a, you know, a little bit of a, a few tense moments at the hospital, but he is he's quite healthy. His lungs work very well. He is quite the quite the uh, quite the loud crier when he sets his mind to it. Uh, he's definitely been more uh, troublesome than than his older sister. Uh, but we're getting a handle on it. He's he's starting to sleep in longer chunks and whatnot. So hopefully life will be returning somewhat to more normal, uh, as normal as you can have with a predictable newborn around versus an erratic one. But no uh, no complaints there. He's uh, he's home. He's happy. He's healthy, and uh, that's that's all we can ask for. The election update is that the first round of the Area Six election, uh, well, of all the elections is complete and I have made the runoff. It is going to be me and Kyle Stevens in the runoff. Uh, Matt Hopkins was eliminated as the the person who got the lowest vote total, but we're actually not that far apart. I ended up with the highest vote total at 492. Kyle Stevens was second at 462, so a lead of about 30 votes. And then Matt Hopkins had 350 votes, which for putting his name in close to the end of the the eligibility period is, uh, is quite a respectable total. So the runoff will be running the month of September, so basically a month from when you hear this. So anytime during the month of September, you'll be able to log in and vote as well. The presidential election also went to a runoff, and I had I was figuring it was going to be Yimin and Todd Jarrett in the runoff, and it very nearly was, but it ended up being it is Yimin and Luigi in the runoff, and Luigi edged out Todd Jarrett by about 50 votes. Todd had 1474 Luigi had 1520, so a very, very small margin. 1% of the, the votes cast determined who made the runoff. So, yeah, I, I still think that Luigi is the guy. I still think that the issues around Yimin's eligibility, I don't think the board is is going to restore his RO cert. I think he is going to be rendered ineligible January 1st, and then Leighton will become acting president and will go into another special election for president. And so I don't want any of that to happen. I think Luigi's the guy. I would recommend you vote for him in uh, in the runoff, and obviously vote for vote for me in the runoff, the the A six runoff if you can. So that's all coming up. Oh, and um, the the bylaws specify that if you are eligible to vote in the first round of the election, you are eligible to vote in the runoff, even if your membership has expired. So even if you are not still a current USPSA member, as long as you were current on May first of this year and had been for the continuous period of a year that made you eligible to vote. All of that. If you are eligible to vote in the first round, you can vote in the runoff. You don't have to re-up just to just to, to be able to vote in the runoff. So a few administrative notes there. I'm sure we'll be talking about those more uh, in the in the coming weeks. But what I wanted to spend the bulk of this episode on is the it's funny, I'd actually had I'd planned to do some sort of non-politics, uh, you know, shooting related content, and that is on the back burner because the last week has been a, a very eventful one with the announcement and then slight walk back of uh, the increase in USPSA membership dues. And I just wanted to cover as much as comprehensively as I could for for folks that don't necessarily pay attention to all the minutia and details or, you know, are confused about the order that events happened in. I just wanted to lay things out as clearly as I can and get everybody on the same page just so that 
everybody knows at least what I know. So to set the stage, last Tuesday, at the, at the end of July, the board met at their their monthly meeting. They have a schedule. Once a month, they meet on a Tuesday. They have their meeting. Typically, it starts around 7 p.m. Eastern time, runs until 11 or, or midnight. And the minutes are released Friday afternoon. That's that's the typical schedule. Last week, that happened. They met on Tuesday. The minutes were released on Friday. And in the minutes on Friday, they announced that effective immediately, the membership dues for all types of USPSA members were going up. There was no grace period. There was going to be no opportunity for people to go ahead and upgrade if they wanted to before the new prices were effective. No, the prices were effective immediately. And the size of the increase was that an annual membership, so that's the regular plain Jane, you get a magazine, you can shoot matches. Uh, Annual membership was going from $40 to $65, which is about a 62% increase. The associate membership was going from 25 to 55, which is a 120% increase, which that's, so the associate membership is the membership where you do not get a, a copy of a physical copy of the magazine. And I believe they also don't let you access the online copy of the, of the magazine, which nominally this magazine is supposed to be the newsletter of the organization. So basically the, the idea of the cheaper associate membership is they're not paying the cost of physically deliver you a magazine, which, okay, fair enough, but why don't the associate members get the online access? And this is a, this is a point that I believe Dave Riddle, uh, from the, from the casual shooters podcast, I think he was the one who, who brought it up to me in, in one of our conversations. And, uh, it's a good point. I, I don't, if we, if we look at the magazine primarily as revenue generating enterprise, then making people pay for it doesn't entirely make sense. But at the same time, if it is meant to be the newsletter, the way that announcements are made, even associate members, if we can give them access to that at zero cost, why not do that? Which the online membership would do, which I don't think it does. I might be wrong about that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure the associate membership doesn't doesn't give even the, the digital access to the magazine. But the idea was you got a $15 discount under the old scheme for not getting the magazine in the new scheme, the discount is $10, but basically otherwise the, the cost has risen commensurate with the, the increase in the cost of the annual membership, which is why the associate membership is the one that has jumped the most. It, it was 120% increase. And then a they've done away with the any discount for the three-year or five-year membership. So basically there's no reason to pay ahead where before there was a slight discount, something on the order of, I think, $5 a year. So you would basically pay like 35 a year instead of 40, something like that. Uh, and then lifetime memberships have been increased from $500 to $1,000, which is only obviously a, an increase of 100%. But because of the way the math works out, it moves the return on investment point of uh, an annual membership versus lifetime. It used to be that an annual, you would uh, you would have to be a member for 12 years for to, to, eat, to get a break even on a lifetime membership. And now under the new pricing scheme, you have to be a member for 15 years for the, to, to break even. So it's slightly less worth it. The, the life membership is slightly less worth it, even though it, it hasn't gone up as much as the, the annual membership, just because of the way the numbers work out. But the upshot is that was announced in the minutes. It was already enabled on the website. Anybody who went to, to go renew would only see the new pricing. And this was not entirely a surprise. People have been talking about rumors of of the membership dues going up, 
And I figured it probably would happen at some point, but the idea that it would be rolled out with no warning and no opportunity for, for the members to upgrade if they chose to, that was, that was a real surprise to me. And the reason that dues would go up is USPSA is losing money. We don't know exactly how much because financials for last year, 2022, have not yet been released, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But nobody really disputes the fact that that the organization is burning up its reserves. How you know we have something like two and a half million, three million dollars, depending on where you look and how you count it in uh, in reserves as of 2021, right? Those numbers are from the 2021 uh, financial statements. But we have yet to see any of the 2022 financial statements. And the two main documents in that case, the first one is the IRS Form 990, which is basically the income tax return for USPSA as a tax-exempt organization. So we still have to do some basic reporting of here's how much we took in, here's how much we spent, and what's you know of interest to the to the members in a lot of cases are we're also required to report the salaries of the highest paid employees of the organization. So typically this would be, you know, the CEO, the CFO, you know, the, the various C-level executives. And in the past, that's how we've known, for example, we've been able to see how Mike Foley was brought in at a hundred thousand dollar salary and within a few years was up to $150,000 and see that, that kind of have that accountability because without the, without the government mandated release of that information, we, we actually wouldn't know any of that. Um, USPSA does not disclose salaries beyond what is in the the, the financial statements, which is the, the second document we'll get to. But even those are at a very high level. It's basically there's there's one number for all the salaries of all the employees, which obviously doesn't really tell you. It doesn't let you sort of evaluate who is getting paid what and, and if you know we as the membership think that, that they are earning what they're worth. So the, the first document from 2022 that we have yet to see is the, the IRS Form 990, which in the past, the it was submitted to the IRS. And one of the boxes you check is, you know, as, as a part of submitting this, you have to tell the IRS, hey, this is how it is available to the membership. And the box has been checked that it's posted on the website. And the 990s going back to, I think, 2017 are on the website, but the, the 2022 one is not there. In addition... Every year, we engage with an accounting firm to either review or audit our financials. And my understanding, as not a financial person, is that a review is basically we send them a bunch of financial documents, they look over them and just look for sort of any glaring errors in what we've submitted. An audit is obviously more in-depth where they will actually follow up and ask for documentation of certain things, they'll spot check things, they'll actually be a little bit more invasive, where review is, is sort of more passive. It's just looking at the documentation and making sure from what was provided, everything adds up. And the way that USPSA does this is we do a, a review. We basically have our financial documents reviewed every year, and every third year is an audit. And 2022 happened to be an audit year. And so there is an audit report from the independent accountant about our audited financials. That report is, as far as I know, written. The board has it uh, in, I believe it was June. The audit committee submitted a report that summarized the findings, but it was basically saying, well, the audit says we have a clean bill of health. We have no issues, no concerns, no viability concerns, which to me doesn't really make sense if we're losing money at a rate, at an unsustainable rate. The idea that the 
that the audit would show that they have that we have no viability concerns. I mean, I guess maybe their time horizon for viability is 12 months instead of 60 months. But I mean, we are definitely on a track where if we don't turn things around, USPSA is going to run out of cash because we're spending more money this year and last year and the year before. We're spending more money than we're bringing in. And so at a certain point, the buck stops and we we run out of money. So I again, this the, the audit committee submitted that that statement, that report, but it really didn't have any any specifics. But obviously, they have the audit report. They just haven't released it. So we as the membership have not seen the 990. We haven't seen the audit report. And critically, the, the third other document that, that I think would be interesting to see is at this board meeting that happened last Tuesday, as you can see in the minutes and, and from the agenda, the fee structure committee made their report. And these reports typically have a, a written component, which is meant to be included with the minutes. And then they sort of make a summary, make a presentation to the board. And, and if some action is needed, then then a vote is taken. And the fee structure committee, as it stands right now, consists of, it is chaired by Donna Webb, the managing director. And the members of the committee are Area 7, Frank Rizzi, Lee Cabana, the previous Area 7, and recently added a few months ago was Jake Martins. So the four of them are the fee structure committee. From what I have heard through the grapevine, the fee structure committee made some recommendations that did include non-trivial raises. You know, we're not talking five bucks here or there. They were they were significant raises, but they were to be phased in over a period of time. I don't know if it was months or years, but what I have heard is that the fee structure committee made a certain recommendation and what was actually voted on in the meeting after the fee structure committee made their report was not really in line with what they had recommended. So I think the, you know, the third thing that, that would be interesting to see alongside this announcement would be the the committee report from that from that committee. We haven't seen that. So all we got was this uh in the minutes it was saying this is what's voted on. Here are the new rates. Here's when it's effective. And then there was a sort of bland corporate speak statement about, uh, you know, we need to raise the dues because of inflation, uh, but we also need to raise the dues because dues haven't been raised in 20 years. And it, to me, it doesn't seem like you can have it both ways. It's either one or the other, but they kind of tried to claim both. And then the statement also, you know, said, oh, don't, don't worry. We use every dollar judiciously, which is, I mean, it's kind of an empty statement show me the documentation, but until I see that, as long as I hear that we are losing hundreds of thousands of dollars a year against our two to three million dollar reserves, I don't know that I that I believe that. So what ended up happening, this this announcement comes out Friday afternoon with no sort of financial transparency. All of these all of these documents, the 990, the audit report, the fee structure committee report, None of these have been released. We just get told, hey, here's the changes and, you know, sort of this bland corporate announcement statement. And things kind of blew up. Obviously, this was this was right before the weekend. A lot of people, you know, have time on the weekend. There was there was a lot of discussion online. And, I, you know, I I partook in that to some degree, but it felt like everything was kind of said and done. It, it seemed like the board had made this decision. There was really nothing to do about it. I was I was vocally opposed to it, but it didn't seem like there was anything that could be done. But then I heard also through the grapevine that there was an additional meeting that had been scheduled for 
Wednesday of this week, so eight days after the original meeting. It was not announced. There was no agenda posted online. When they adjourned the meeting last Tuesday, they didn't say we are adjourning until next Wednesday. So there was no announcement that this Wednesday, there, there was no hint to the to the membership that this Wednesday meeting was happening, but whatever. I, I, I had it fairly reliably that it was happening. So Tuesday, I wrote up a, a letter, sent it to the board, and I basically laid out, you know, the, the three main issues with the way that this was done. First is the lack of transparency around why it was necessary. You know, the, the board made no attempt to make the case for what the shortfall would be without this, what the impact of this change would be, what changes were being made to reduce cost structure. N- none of those, no justification was made to the membership. It was just, here's what it is, deal with it. The second thing was the, the the lack of warning, the lack of ability for people to choose whether to go ahead and upgrade. And and then the third thing being just the, the size of the various increases. You know, if this were, we, we need to keep up with inflation. Well, if we say inflation is 8%, well, then why are we seeing increases between 50 and 120%? If, if we're trying to keep up with inflation, okay, maybe we increase it $5 this year. And if inflation keeps up, maybe we increase it $5 next year. But increasing it by $25 all in one shot, okay, that doesn't really match with the justification of inflation. Where on the other hand, if this is just sort of catching up for lack of increases over 20 years, well, again, why can we not phase these in over over a few years? Why is Why was it necessary to make such a large change in such short notice? And don't get me wrong. I mean, I'll, I'll take a diversion here. Part of the reaction to this was, it's just 25 bucks. What's the big deal? That's like the cost of 100 rounds of 9mm. We shoot that all the time. It's the cost of a club match. It's it's not a huge amount of money. And I agree with that. It In terms of dollars and cents, like budgeting $25 more a year in our annual budget, you know, as, as, as we do as a household. Now, obviously, we, you know, Stephanie and I are both members. I'm a life member now, not because I thought the dues increase were coming, but because I had to be one to run for the board. Rather, I have to be one to serve on the board, so if elected, I would have to be a life member, so I just went ahead and bought it when I filed to run. I, obviously, you know, in, in our household budget, this is this is not a big deal. That's not the issue. It's about the respect. It's about the way that it was done. It was the fact that people weren't given any chance. They weren't given any input. As I, as I wrote in my letter, uh, we were not treated as partners or stakeholders to be convinced or persuaded. We were we were basically treated as subordinates to be bossed around and told you're going to pay us more effective immediately and you have no say about it. And so it was it was more about the board doing it in this way in a time when it seems pretty obvious that the board has very lacking financial controls around where the money is actually going. They can't account for where we're losing two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year, and until you can tell me where the money's going, I don't like the idea of you coming to me and asking for more of it. And so it was it was much more about the way that this was being done. Can the average USPSA shooter afford $25 a year? Absolutely. But by that logic, well, why don't we make it 50? Why don't we make it 100, right? This is a slippery slope type argument where well, you know, if it's not that much money, then let's just let's just keep raising it $25 a year until the organization is solvent. And obviously that's not the right way to do things. The right way is to figure out where is the money going? How do we accomplish the goals of the organization in a way that is cost efficient? And that's not that's not what was done. If we had actually seen some positive movement in the direction of financial accountability and transparency and actually meaningful cutting of costs, then okay, maybe then the board can come to us hat in hand and say, hey guys, we've made all these changes. Now we're looking at also increasing revenue. 
what do you think? This is what we're, what we're proposing. That didn't happen. Instead, you know, the, the cost-cutting measures that we have seen are things like getting rid of the physical office, which it seems like, I mean, we we vacated it and we've been looking for to, to sublease it to someone. I don't know exactly if we have found one someone to sublease it or not, but at least for a few months after we abandoned the office and moved everything out, we were still paying for it. And so even though we gave up the office, we haven't necessarily realized a huge amount of savings from that. And honestly, other than that, I I don't know of any meaningful cost saving measures that that I'm aware of. And so it's uh it's a little hard to to stomach this idea that that we're just being asked to throw more money in, into this leaky bucket. Again, is $25 that much? No, but it's the principle of the thing. And and that's what I thought was was worth drawing out and worth writing the letter to the board about. And and I posted it on my blog and shared it with, you know, on social media so people could see as someone running for the board, this is my stance. This is the way I look at this issue. And the the letter was phrased in terms of, I have heard you guys are having another meeting. Here's here are the things that I think you should do. And so I basically laid out four four steps. First was immediately roll back the increase and restore the pricing to, you know, the to before the, the vote was taken. Second, release the financials, the the three documents I mentioned earlier, the 2022 Form 990, the audit report, and the report from the fee structure committee of what their research showed would actually be a reasonable increase or pattern of increases. Third, to actually have some discussion with the membership of what the changes should be and what was reasonable, take some feedback, don't just pick these this number out of a hat. And then fourth, make the increase effective some some point in the future after the vote was taken, not Immediately, at, you know, as soon as you're reading these minutes, your rates have already gone up. It's like, well, great. Okay, thanks for telling me. So I, I basically wrote, you know, wrote this letter. I laid out those those issues and then encouraged the board to take those four actions. What was announced, so, so I submitted that Tuesday. The meeting was Wednesday. And what they announced late Wednesday, like 11 p.m. Eastern, was they had met and they had waived confidentiality about the meeting so that they could get the what they the, the the vote and the changes they had authorized they could go ahead and announce those because the the way the bylaws are written no one on the board is allowed to discuss anything that happened in the meeting until the minutes are released which is typically Friday afternoon so they wanted to they wanted to waive confidentiality so that they could discuss what had happened this had only been done once before recently at the meeting where limited optics was voted on with the purpose of being able to let the membership know that hey limited optics is a thing so this is only the second time in, in recent memory, that confidentiality has been waived. There's some discussion about why is it not waived at every meeting. As far as I understand it, the case against waiving it is basically people can tell whatever they want before the minutes are released, and nobody knows whether they're honest or not. But if you say stuff and then the minutes come out and they contradict what you said, well, then you're going to look like an idiot. So it's in your best interest to only say things that are actually substantiated by the minutes. So uh, to me, it just looks like a smokescreen. It's just you know another way for the board to kind of control the messaging and and not allow individual board members to actually engage with their constituencies, but to try and you know speak with this one voice of the board, which has been an ongoing issue for for years. So to me, the whole confidentiality thing is is an issue. I don't I don't know why it's such a big deal and why maintaining it. I, I mean, listen, I will maintain it. If confidentiality is not waived on a board meeting that I am a party to, obviously I will follow it. I don't want to get kicked off the board for violating it. But 
at the same time, I would be in favor of waiving it where possible or, you know, revising the bylaws and all that. To me, the 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 focus on it is seems out of place for an organization where nominally we are working for the members. Anyway, all that aside, the announcement that came out last night is that they had voted to keep the same fee structure in place, but delay implementation until October 1st. So basically the membership has all of August and September to choose whether they want to go ahead and renew at the annual, the three-year, five-year rates, which those do still convey that that small discount, or go ahead and upgrade to a to a $500 life membership. That obviously of the four things that I asked for is kind of the first one and the fourth one, but not really the middle two. So there was no accountability. They 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 did not release the the fee structure committee report. They haven't. They, there's still no sign of when the audit report will be released or the form 990. And there was no sort of discussion about renegotiating what the actual raise would be or revisiting the fee structure committee's recommendations around going maybe to a from what I've heard going to more of a, a, a tiered gradual increase. None of that. It's the increases are still happening exactly as posted, but you have two months to to decide to go ahead and upgrade. So on the one hand, you could look at this and say, well, they're, they're still screwing us. And that's kind of been the the, the dominant discussion. You know, the, the social media reaction today is, well, you know, they're, you're still getting screwed. The rates are still going up. Maybe I'm a glass half full kind of guy, but I at least appreciate that this is the first time that the board has actually looked at something and said, okay, we went too far on this one. We're going to step back and we're going to, we're going to revisit it. And we're going to look at at least softening it even minorly, right? I, there, there's not really been anything like that that I can remember where the board has recognized that they made a mistake, that they overstepped and and reversed course. The only thing somewhat along those lines would be when they suspended Pat Brown and then reinstated him. But it's not still not really clear to me why, you know, what, what they thought he had done and why they reinstated him, but not the other people that had been suspended and, and banned. So that, that was, you know, that was maybe a small step backward, but I am encouraged very slightly by this. Now, I still wholeheartedly believe that we should push for the accountability. They're still asking members to effectively give them, give USPSA, the the staff and the board, give them a 60% raise. And this is this is a metaphor I used in my letter, but you know, they they need to make the case to us as though an employee would make the case to their boss that they deserve to be paid 60% more. And we haven't seen that. We haven't seen any transparency. The fact that they have reports from last year and they're sitting on them i mean i can't i can't think of a reason to do that except that they look bad and they don't want the blowback and so they're just kicking the can down the road maybe there's some other legitimate reason but i can't come up with one so on the one hand it looked like we were getting really heartily screwed as it is people have the chance if they want to go ahead and upgrade to either a a five year at the current discount or go ahead and pull the trigger on a on a, on a lifetime membership, they can. So that is a, a step in the right direction. But at the same time, there are still these huge increases coming. And I think as members who are in the sport, so obviously anybody that comes in after these increases are in place, unless we tell them or they, you know, they hear, they listen to a podcast like this, they won't necessarily know what the fees used to be, what they are now, you know, where, where their money's going. But I think it's up to us as the members to keep pushing on the board. And obviously as someone who is pushing to literally get onto the board, we need to bring that, that attitude of transparency. I mean, I, I fully believe that 
the board and the staff and the employees of USPSA work for the members. They should not have anything to hide. It should not be anything in any expense report, in any financial document anywhere that the membership shouldn't be able to see because we pay the bills. The members pay the bills through membership fees and through activity fees. If you want to to be in a job where you can expense fancy dinners or, you know, uh, whatever else, then this is not the job for you. This is a nonprofit. You are serving the members and the members should be able to see what you're spending your money on and you should be able to justify it. If you have some legitimate reason for staying in a fancy hotel instead of the Holiday Inn or whatever, okay, make that case. But to me, the the idea that the members don't deserve to know where their money is going is is just preposterous. And um, I think that is a cultural shift that will take a while to change. I don't know, you know how much influence I'll be able to have, but I, to me, the idea of, of any kind of non-financial transparency just, it doesn't make sense. It's not our money. It is the members' money. And they the, the ones that want to go looking should be able to find all the detail that they want. And that's just the way I think it, it should be. But in summary, last Friday, it was announced that the fees were going up. This past Wednesday, it was announced that the they were being delayed. They're still going up, but the you have until October to upgrade. People have been asking me, what should they do? I, I'm sort of of two minds. One is, if you look at what the new annual subscription will be, it's $65 and at that rate, a $500 lifetime membership, your break-even point will be eight years. So if you think you'll be in the sport for eight more years, go ahead and upgrade to the life membership. The flip side of that is I see people saying they they like retaining the ability on an annual membership to cancel their membership in protest. And if it is, if the organization turns around and it gets to a point where things are actually going well, then they actually are happy to pay a $65 fee to a, for a functioning organization. And, you know, there's a, there's a point there, right? Every dollar saved by a member is a dollar less that the organization has. And to some degree, we want members who feel like they are so well served by the organization that they're happy to pay their membership. Now, I don't think that's, I don't think most people feel that way now, but I do think that is a goal to aspire to. I think getting to a point where people are happy to pay a, a reasonable annual membership and they're not necessarily looking to save the most money because they feel like they get their money's worth from their membership. I think that's a goal worth worth working towards. So I would say for the for the average member, I would say maybe, you know, re-up at, at an annual or maybe a three or a five year. I don't know that I would definitely say it's a slam dunk, hey, go ahead and upgrade to a life membership because, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe we won't success, be successful in turning things around and USPSA won't be worth shooting in a few years. Obviously, I hope that's not the case. I, I want to work so that it is it is worthwhile, but I can't predict the future and, um, you know, who knows what will happen. So I don't know that you know, automatically upgrading to a life is a slam dunk, but it's also not a terrible idea. You know, it is, it is the cheapest that it will ever be. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's up to you, but I just wanted to try and condense everything, all the information that I've gathered, everything I know from, you know, the past week of kind of being in the weeds of this in one spot so that anybody interested who hasn't been you know paying attention to every single back and forth moment could, uh, have a, have a point of reference, have a set of common facts, and uh, hopefully have somewhere to go from here in terms of everybody being on the same page about what happened and, to the best of my knowledge, why. Well, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. My email is bennettberryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.